the Vietnam War and the push for US involvement was a result of the Gulf of Tonkin incident. A lie. The Iraq War famously is a result of lies. Wars in Somalia are a result of lies. The Second World War and the German invasion of Poland was a result of carefully constructed lies. That is war by media. Let us ask ourselves of the complicit media, which is the majority of the mainstream press, what is the average death count attributed to each journalist? Anton Karras from The Third Man, which you've heard a million times. I don't know why I'm telling you this. And uh, of course, uh, Julian Assange at the very top at the uh, anti-war rally somewhere uh, before he uh, uh, took uh, refuge in the uh, Ecuadorian embassy. Uh, by the way, I'm Randy Critical. This is Randy Critical live on the fly. Uh, Assange Countdown to Freedom. This is our 20th show. And I, I figured after 19, this being the 20th, we, we pay tribute uh, to uh, those out there, the activists, uh, because I'm an activist, by the way, you know, that's, I like it more than doing this. I like being on the street. I spent many years uh, fighting the Rockefeller drug laws and I led rallies and vigils and participated anti-war rallies and vigils. I love doing that. Uh, I used to do it with Grandpa Al Lewis, Grandpa Munster. And uh, he says that really gives you a lot of life getting on the street. And so we're going to pay, act, uh, pay tribute to activists today uh, who've been part of this Assange movement, uh, many, of them, many of them for uh, years and uh, some who've joined the last couple of years, but all very effective uh, from various parts of the world, New York, New Zealand, London, Scotland. Uh, and uh, they deserve uh, some recognition because they are uh, the salt of the earth. Um, we are um, going to be joined right now by someone who's part of that. He's an activist. I, 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 would, I would classify as an activist. And his organization, uh, Courage Foundation, is one of the leading, if not leading, organizations um, helping out Julian Assange. And, uh, of course, that is their executive director, Nathan Fuller. Nathan, uh, welcome back. Thanks, Randy. Good to be with oh. you. Uh, as far as the activists go, Nathan, um, how important have they been uh, in generating support uh, for uh, Assange? I know he told me it was very important when I was in the embassy uh, with them the last time. They're incredibly important. This is a 10-year saga uh, ongoing uh, since WikiLeaks' original publications, and there have been some incredible people who have been there uh, from the start uh, raising awareness about this when journalists would either ignore the story or capitalize on parts of the story or uh, turn the story into smears about Julian Assange's character and personality uh, when the important thing here is the revelations. That's what he's talking about. And uh, 
and that's what activists are, are bringing awareness to and you know thanking uh, Assange for that's what the activism for so there uh, I live in New York and there are people there who have uh, been carrying out vigils uh, every week uh, formerly I'll be on to great yeah in front of the used to be in front of the New York Times building to try to get the Times to cover it uh, more and more fairly uh, and then it, back in Grand Central when it got too cold and and trying to reach more people and just really impressive. There are groups across Australia, uh, as you mentioned, Scotland, New Zealand, Ireland, all, all over. It's really uh, impressive to see a groundswell of support. Yes. All right. Well, that's that. Uh, I, we agree totally um, on that. And um, the Courage Foundation has done incredible work here. Um, you've uh, kept the, the, the ball moving forward. Uh, give us uh, an idea before we uh, go to deeper driver um, uh, what the uh, Courage Foundation is doing coming up events uh, what's happening uh, this weekend etc sure so we do public and legal campaigning we raise funds for ourselves to be able to hold these events but also for the the legal team and we hold events trying to cover various aspects of the case to talk about the prison conditions the First Amendment issues uh, now the coronavirus uh, and the way that Assange is at risk uh, and the fact that he's not been able to talk to his legal team. Uh, so we host these webinars, these online video panel sessions. Um, and so yeah, defend.wikileaks.org. Uh, you can find more information about those. Defense.wikileaks.org slash events. Uh, we'll have upcoming events uh, uh, near you when we can can start getting back in the streets, uh, but for now they're just online panel discussions. That's good. Well, is there, there's one uh, today, May, or uh, on, on Saturday. Tomorrow, yeah, May 9th. Uh, yeah, and so also Don't Extradite Assange uh, campaign is a group of really incredible activists in London, uh, and they're holding uh, this webinar tomorrow, and that'll discuss the prison conditions that Assange has endured thus far. So um, any other events planned down the road, or do you just want to tell us just a quick update on, on what is going on with the Assange case here? Definitely keep an eye out on defend.wikileaks.org slash events for more. There's going to be another one May 17th, uh, the day before Assange's uh, extradition hearing was scheduled to resume. But yeah, the legal update there is that uh, the hearing, the three, remaining three weeks of his extradition hearing uh, are postponed until September. So that gives him more time to deal with his legal defense, but of course keeps him in prison and, and at risk of COVID-19 uh, during that time. All right, anything else you wanna add before we move on? As we're talking about activists, I just want to give a shout out to the people who came to the London hearing. Uh, there were people uh, back in February uh, for the first week of his extradition hearing, uh, there were people who were there camping out. There were people who showed up at four, five, six in the morning there were uh, two bus loads of uh, the yellow vests from France. Um, and it was just really great to see that just manifestation of support. Uh, and they were cheering so loudly that Julian could hear them in the court. Um, well, this is a good yeah. time. I wasn't gonna put this in, but this is a good time to play. I had, uh, I walked around after the first day uh, on the 24th and went outside the perimeter of the, um, of the courtroom and there was about 300 people there and I just held my uh, cell phone up. So we're gonna play that right now and come back to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Good on you. Hello. Hello. Wow, what an impressive turnout this is. Holy moly. To give us a So that was pretty impressive, wasn't it? Huh? Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> they were really good. good they were, you know, they were singing John Lennon, uh, um, Give Peace a Chance, uh, but uh, free Julian Assange. So that was going Assange, on. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was going on all week, and they are. And we're going to be talking to one of those uh, organizers, and that is, of course, uh, Emmy Butin. Um, anything uh, else uh, you want to add in before we go? Uh, no, I mean, this kind of campaigning does uh, require support. We rely on contributions, and you can always support the, the legal team and the campaign, defend.wikileaks.org slash donate, uh, and that's where you can also find information, the live blog for the legal updates and other kind of articles about him, but uh, also upcoming events. So Okay. Yeah. Uh, with that, thank you, uh, Nathan uh, Fuller, um, and uh, we will, by the way, this is Assange Countdown to Freedom. Um, episode 20, uh, we're going to play, uh, uh, today we're going to pay tribute to a great activist, musician, uh, poet, songwriter, and uh, that of course is the great Woody Guthrie. We'll be playing Woody Guthrie throughout uh, this uh, program today, and um, we'll be right back after this by Woody Guthrie uh, with uh, Deepa Driver. Thank you very much. Put a there, boy, we'll show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. Guthrie. Uh, I'm Randy Credico. This is Randy Credico. Live on the fly. Assange Countdown to Freedom. I am not looking at notes, I promise you. And uh, as promised, we are being joined by someone who I uh, just um, noticed a few months back uh, in like all over the place, you know, in Scotland, London, holding these events everywhere. Someone that everybody has 
so much respect for. And I saw her in person speaking on the uh, 22nd of February uh, by Parliament, uh, give a rousing, galvanizing speech in front of the protesters uh, on that day in support of Julian Assange. And that is uh, Deepa Driver. Deepa, it's really after all this time that I've wanted you on this show, here you are. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Randy. That was really so, kind. Thank you. Well, listen, people do talk about it. So I know that you're very humble about this. Um, but I, I want to ask you, I mean, I know you're, um, you're, you're, a, uh, you're a lecturer uh, based uh, in London and uh, you're a unionist. Uh, a unionist in the, in, like, pro-unionist. Pro yeah. Uh, right. Labor unionists, right? That's right. All right. So that's great because we're playing a lot of uh, labor songs today by Woody Guthrie. Uh, mm -hmm. fact, when we're, we're out on this one. We're going to play one of his great uh, Be Part of the Union. I thought about that just for you. So um, that's wonderful. Tell us how you got involved uh, in, in the um, uh, Assange movement. Um, I've been... I'd been reading about WikiLeaks for a while, you know, and like most people, ordinary people, you know, you, you, if you're interested in what's going on in the world, you, you figure out that WikiLeaks is where the real information is. And um, when, I think at the time, about 10 years ago, when Julian went into the Ecuadorian embassy, there was a big sigh of relief that, okay, so they're not going to get him for revealing what's really going on. And like most people, I guess, uh, at least the people that I'm in contact with, I kind of thought that he was safe in the Ecuadorian embassy and that things were not so bad. And unlike people like Emmy and Clara and the other grassroots supporters like Maxime and Joe and others who were standing outside there supporting Julian on the vigils, um, I hadn't quite twigged what was really going on. And I began to notice this in, this um, move towards potentially kicking Julian out of the embassy. And that's when I started to pay attention. And then it actually happened and I couldn't believe it had happened because I thought, hang on a second, he's got Ecuadorian citizenship. I thought you're not allowed to rescind citizenship if you could potentially be harmed by, you know, uh, by being taken to another state. And here it was, it had happened and so, I think it must have been August or September in 2019 that I went to an event organized by the Committee to Defend Julian Assange, which is one of the grassroots support groups, which we didn't have Don't Extradite Assange formally at the time. So this group led by one of your other guests on the show, I think, Emmy, and, and other colleagues, um, Helen, and so many names they were meeting and I went to this meeting and what I was really impressed by was how many ordinary people who were going about day-to-day -day jobs had figured out that the mainstream government narrative was a load of rubbish and how keen they were to take a stance and make take a position even though they weren't, you know, like the famous people like Tilger or Craig Murray or others who are courageous and am amazing in their own rise. But these are ordinary people with courage and that really inspired me. And I, I thought, what can I do to help out? Because as a trade unionist, I think I have, I have developed some skills and also, you know, when, 
when you teach a lecture with 300 students, you become used to talking in public and it's easy and not many people like to do that. So I last year, about October time, I thought, okay, what would be really nice is a huge public event where all of us can come together and talk about the issues and hopefully start to change the narrative about Julian because as you know, the narrative is very poisoned. At the time, the media wasn't even reporting much of what was going on. And the truth was just not getting out. So I organized something called Free the Truth, Free Julian Assange, which was an event in a church and about 500 people came to that event. At St. Pancras. That's right, at St. Pancras Station, which is just, it's, a, it's in a big, beautiful old church just outside St. Pancras Station in London, the, you know, the big station where all the trains from Paris and Brussels come into. So not a few, few minutes walk from there, there is a, a church which, which very kindly hosted us. And it was quite difficult. What I thought was quite amazing was the difficulty in obtaining a venue, because of course, central London venues are expensive and we didn't, we wanted to make the, um, the events free at the point of entry. And so um, we weren't looking for expensive venues, but with all the normal venues that you would expect for community gatherings and social gatherings, they were terrified of getting associated with anything to do with Julian. And so I was very grateful to the church that they offered us the space and um, we sat in the pews and listened to my dream team, which was people like Mark Curtis, John Pilger, Craig Murray, um, Fidel Narvez, Lisa Johnson, all these, Lisa Longstaff from Women Against Rape, just all very long-term, good, trustworthy activists talking about what's really going on and making the case for Julian. And that really inspired me to say, okay, let's do some more and people enjoyed it. Let's find other ways to get people together. And I, I must admit that um, a lot of this was also due to Professor Ian Munro at Newcastle, who's, um, who gave me some ideas to start with, and my, my husband Rod, who's also supporting and helping me organize and in the background, just helping out. So, oh, I didn't yeah, know that. The St. Pancras uh, event back in, uh, I think it was November, was uh, really great. In fact, I uh, always play an excerpt uh, from that. Uh, oh, or Craig Murray, Always, I, I take a little piece of that, and uh, you can find that online if you. We'll, we'll put a link to it uh, uh, on this uh, on this uh, our website to that great event way back, and and they went back there. I don't know if you had anything to do with it uh, in February, but uh, the one in November was uh, was really it was jam packed, and Murray came in there and uh, tore the house down, as did everybody. John Pilger. It was really a well-organized event. And, uh, Thank you. Why, why, why do you think um, so many other venues were reluctant or uh, fearful of uh, hosting an event for some a journalist like Julian Assange? Well, I guess November was about the time when people started to, and I, oh, I forgot the big name on that day was also Professor Niels Mels at the UN oh, Special yeah. Rapporteur, of course. Yes, we had him one. He's great. He's Amazing. great. Yeah. yeah, he's a godsend, isn't he, Nils Melzer? And yeah. he spoke at a couple of our events. Um, you're right, we've had events in February as well. Um, we've even had three events during the lockdown, including one with um, Matt Sandinas, who's a professor of law at 
um, in Norway and an honorary QC. We've had Robert Thibault, who's the lawyer who helped Snowden escape from Hong Kong, and Ben Wisner, who's principal counsel, I believe, to Edward Snowden and who is um, who's of the ACLU. So we even brought them together during the lockdown to have this fantastic discussion. And that's also available online. So if people use the hashtag free the truth on YouTube, there's a bunch of our events that you can get to. And I'll pass them on to you, Randy, if you'll share them on your website. So people of can course, that's uh, hashtag free the truth. Uh, and uh, Ben Weisner's been on. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and okay. he's fantastic. Yes, um, but um, I, I got to ask you, why was it why so difficult to find a location, and why were they so reluctant? These other venues. Okay. Well, in fact, one of the venues when I called them, they originally said yes, and then they called back and they said, "No, we can't have you." And I was quite lucky to speak to a person um, whom I'd originally spoken to, very down to earth lady, and she said to me, I didn't have a choice, you know, the orders came from on high, <laughs> that uh, we weren't to have any controversial events. And I think, I think a lot of venues self-censor. I, I think the first problem is self-censorship, this desire not to be associated with somebody who's been smeared. I think that, and in November, the smears were still going strong and people, many people in the media were repeating those smears in ways which were completely unhelpful. But now I think um, more recently, the venues have been a little bit more willing because I think people have realized that this is a complete and utter stitch up. Yeah. And it's not okay. Yeah, it's horrible. So they were intimidated. I wonder if the government had uh, had put any pressure on them. Uh, I think a lot of venues would definitely feel that because, you know, um, you can see that outside the courts last week where, you know, we had special forces, people like that out to to move what was a very small, socially distant, peaceful group of protesters outside Westminster Magistrates Court. So I think there is an element of messages from on high but there is also an element of people not wanting to wondering what you're about because you know they i think dissent and dissidence is something that people feel very uncomfortable with and i think it's up to us to show them that we're not there to create a ruckus or be unpleasant or um, shout and tear the house down or swear or whatever else we're there to have a peaceful gathering and have a community debate about an issue that's really important to them as well as to us it's um that that event outside uh the courtroom uh that was broken up by the police did you attend that no that was emmy was there so and she so, could tell you more about it and we, we have a clip that will play um, when Emmy's on uh, from that day when the police, uh, you know, you know, came in and broke it up, uh, which is really uh, kind of intimidating and, and, and frightening. People see that. Uh, but um, but uh, the resilience of this movement, in spite of the weather conditions, in spite of the intimidation, are you uh, impressed by uh, those who go out there and uh, stand up and hold the signs and uh, continue to support Julian Assange? Of course I am. They are amazing people with a lot of courage. 
and a lot of compassion. What's been to me really interesting and the people whom I find inspiring people like Maxine and Clara and Joe. Yeah, I love, that, I love those guys. Yeah. 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 It's that they are calm. They are unwavering in their solidarity with Julian. They are not there to get, make any money, get a name for themselves, uh, create any personal agenda, you know. They are there because they know that this is right and they stand by it. And that is so wonderful. And it's people sacrificing their personal time, standing in the wet, standing in the rain, standing in the cold. And one thing I do have to say is when you talk about intimidation, I don't want it to seem like you know, the police are after us and they're beating us up or anything of that sort, because that's not the case. It's not like, you know, in, in other countries where we have seen absolute and grotesque police brutality. And I think the brutality that's happening here is very mundane. It's also the brutality that Julian is experiencing that we find most hurtful. Here, it is about expressions of power, which are used, which are which are made using very legitimized settings. Let me explain what I mean by this because it sounds very abstract. But if you go into court, right, you go into this room, you, you first you queue outside, ages in a queue to get in, in. They talk about open justice and for the public's right to know. And yet you queue outside. And yet, despite you queuing outside to six, from six in the morning, the journalists get in first, of course. Then you go inside and you queue again outside the actual courtroom doors. And then they say, OK, we'll take the first 14 or the first 15. And then when you go inside, you're behind a glass barrier. You can't, you're not allowed to speak. And this is normal court practice, so it's nothing unusual. But it's also the terms of the debate, as you see the judge talking to, we all rise for this judge. And you expect her to conduct the proceedings with fairness, with the power that is vested in her. But actually, when you see how the state is treating Julian, how his conditions in the prison, how, how he is, um, you know, the, the fact that they, uh, on the first day of his trial, they, they handcuffed him, they body searched him several times, they moved him from cell to cell, they took away his papers when he went back, and the judge says she can't do anything about this. And you think this is about the semblance of power and legitimacy and fairness, whereas actually there is great brutality in this process because it's breaking one person down really yeah. hard. I, um, I, exter I, I went through the, uh, the queue for uh, three days uh, from the 24th to the uh, 26th, I homing day, and uh, I know I was there. And you know, Emmy Buton, as early as I got there, she would uh, have somebody stand in line, and and I sat with a very um, uh, great group of individuals, including his uh, father and brother, for a couple of days. Uh, and um, you know, watching that judge in action was really appalling, and uh, seeing him on the left hand side from the gallery. Uh, in the back of that room, um, it looked like, uh, you know, it's, it's like Eichmann, you know, Adolf Eichmann, when he was on trial in Israel in, 18, in 1961, they had him in a glass cage like that, but he had access to his lawyers. I mean, Eichmann had access to his lawyers and they had headphones on that could hear. Here, Julian Assange is not even accorded what they accorded a, a mass murderer, Eichmann. You know, and so. They did the same for Pinochet when he came here, oh, you know? Yeah. If I could live like Pinochet did when he was in London under house arrest, 
I would be the happiest person in the world. Well, I, I don't, I don't uh, wish house arrest on anybody, you know, or a restriction on freedoms for anybody. But all I'm, I think the fact that they treat Julian with so much contempt and so much disrespect for somebody who's so intelligent and so capable and has done so much to progress how we understand war and um, all for corruption is it's just heinous and it's it's really sad to see somebody being slowly killed through quote unquote legal mechanisms right in front of you and that's i think quite depressing for many of us so i think in a way that the events are also meant to to energize people and to give people the sense of solidarity that we're in it together it's not just each one of us sitting in our homes thinking about how bad this is it's also us talking to each other and saying how can we do this differently how can we take the fight to them how can we change this narrative how can we say this is misfeasance in public office when politicians collude with and the CPS colludes, for example, with the Swedish prosecution to keep a case in limbo for nine years and not give justice to either the accused or the accusers. This is this is what we have to change. We have to, you know, just we have to come together and we have to demand our rights as citizens, because without that citizen scrutiny and that press scrutiny, our democratic establishments are all just completely being turned into some Orwellian interpretation where if you're somebody who's dishonest, you're treated as honest. If you're somebody who's revealed war crimes, you're treated like the criminal. We should be going after the criminals, the Clintons, the Blairs, and all these people who are causing war and destruction all around the world. They shouldn't be roaming free. They should be in Belmont. Right, right. You know, that's it. The, um... The criminals are um, are uh, putting on trial a person who exposed their crimes. That's exactly what's happened here. And everybody seems to be complicit all the way from the U.S. Justice Department to the Crown Prosecutor Services to the judge. They're all complicit in this affair. And they don't want someone like that out there exposing the crimes of state. And, uh, and all of these countries are involved in it because nobody's not one of these nations is really intervening and standing up for the principle of uh, free expression and free speech. Um, Deepa, um, tell how how can people um, uh, reach you? Um, you know, uh, your, your, your Twitter account. Your Twitter yes, account. My, my email, uh, not my email. Email. My Twitter account is at the rate Deepa, spelled D E E P A underscore driver, like car driver. So it's easy. It's a great name. I, you know, I really like that name. If, if, if there's reincarnation, I'm going to hopefully come back with that type of name. You know, keep um, a driver. It's a great name. And you do my great. My husband work. is Rod Driver, which is even more, it sounds even more dodgy. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I really appreciate all the work that you've done uh, for Julian uh, and what you've done uh, through your entire uh, life. You've been uh, uh, involved in all sorts of causes. And uh, I know this is one of the bigger battles uh, being a trade unionist organizer. That That is tough. You know, that kind of, uh, you know, street uh, work is, is, is a tough road to hoe. As Thomas Paine would say that uh, you are a winter soldier. And I salute all the winter soldiers that are involved uh, in this movement. And we're going to talk to uh, one in New Zealand, 
and uh, one in New York and one in London, uh, Amy Butin, who's been there That's from it. the start. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else? Any last words uh, you'd like to share with us about uh, this uh, whole affair with uh, Julian Assange? Yes. May I just make a plug for a few things? Um, I think it's very important if you have connections within the legal community, former judges, current judges, lawyers, um, legal academics. Uh, we have an international jurist letter. Please share the letter with them. It's available on Medium, and I'll provide the link to Randy. We also have various events which are being run. Um, I advertise these events. We'd be grateful if you could participate. Um, if you are a journalist, please sign the Journalist Speak Up for Assange letter. Please talk to people in your community. You might think it's just one or two people, but together we are much stronger. And if more people understand what's really going on in the world, we won't be causing wars and destruction everywhere else. So please join us, please work with us, and um, let's focus on holding to account those in power. All right, well, I can't follow that. Uh, that was well said. And like I said, thank you for uh, all of your work and for all what you do. And uh, we're gonna go out right now with a, uh, another Woody Guthrie this is a uh, tune, this is a uh, song about unions. All right, we'll be right back. You've got to join that one big union. You've got to join it by yourself. Everybody here will join it with you. You've got to join the one big union by yourself. If that road gets rough and rocky, if the hills get steep and high, we will sing as we go marching, and we'll win one big union by and by. Brothers gotta join that one big union. Brothers gotta join it by himself. Everybody here will join it with him. Brothers gotta join the one big union by himself. Sister's got to join that one big union. Sister's got to join it by herself. Everybody here will join it with her. Sister's got to join the one big union by herself. All right, another great tune by uh, Woody Guthrie. Uh, I'm Randy Credico, uh, Randy Credico Live on the Fly, Assange uh, Countdown to Freedom, episode 20, and this is... Uh, it's going to be called uh, Assange Activist Army because uh, we are uh, today dedicating uh, or focusing on the activists out there. And there's nobody who's been more active that I know of than uh, Emmy uh, Butlin. My pronouncing right? Butlin. You know, I never get it right. I, you know, for it's because I, I, I have, I never wear my glasses and I didn't see the L. Uh, when I uh, inter interviewed you a couple of years back. But Emmy, uh, welcome. I, I, I know there's a party going on on the streets of London, uh, even though there's like a million people who've died from this virus, but uh, they're out there. Uh, it's like uh, New York State at this point in time. But um, so 
Emmy, first of all, I want to say, um, I, I want to commend you for all of the work that you've done. When did you start your uh, vigil outside the London uh, uh, embassy, uh, Ecuadorian uh, embassy in London? Uh, I started as soon as Julian Assange took refuge in there in June 2012. Prior to that, I was supporting on social media, blogging, and uh, taking part in every opportunity I had with donations and uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, following the case, uh, visiting wikileaks.org, reading material there. But, uh, and I had attended a couple of actions, like uh, in October 2011, he had spoken, Julian Assange had spoken at a Stop the War Coalition in Trafalgar Square. I went I along with that. that. I played that at the very beginning of the show, at the cold opening. Remarkable. Yeah. I remember a particular moment when he uh, talked about the responsibility of the journalists and that journalists in mainstream media had blood on their hand because, demo because democracies were, uh, Western democracies, the people were lied into war. I remember yeah. my, my uh, you know, my hair standing at an end, you know, thinking, oh my God, it is wise, his words were wise, but he's challenging the establishment of mainstream media who are going to roast him, and this is what happened. Yes, he said they were complicit. When you listen to this show again, that speech is the one, I didn't know it, where it took place. And at what I was there. Time. Yeah, that was when, because I don't it know. It was the 8th of October, 2011. Okay, now I know, okay? Because I, I always say that it was before you went into the embassy. So you followed him, you um, supported him, uh, you tweeted about him, and then uh, when he goes into the embassy, you immediately uh, start organizing uh, vigils. Uh, For me, it was the, a catalyst, because I couldn't believe what I saw with my own eyes. Uh, it, it, it seemed unreal that uh, a journalist and a publisher, a public person, uh, renowned for his work, found himself in this situation that he had to physically seek protection and seek political asylum and get political asylum in the heart of London. Uh, for me, it was a, an unbelievable situation with everything that I had experienced in Greece with political upheaval. Uh, you know very well, Randy, we had a seven year dictatorship. I was born in the heart of it. My parents uh, suffered as long as many, many thousands of other Greek people, millions of them suffered during those seven years of horror. Um, and uh, as I was growing up, we lived in democracy. We were looking at Greece and the political developments there. Um, we were looking up to Britain as a mature democracy. I, I came over here and I studied and I lived here for many years. I could not believe it when he went into the embassy to seek asylum. But I absolutely believed what he was saying, that his life was a threat, a threat from US persecution. We saw it, it was all in our screens. It was not hidden. We could see what uh, all these politicians were saying in America. Uh, we could see Joe Biden brandishing uh, him as an information terrorist. What is all that? This is, a, this is extraordinary. And of course, because I was so thrilled about the materials that they were putting out, and I felt like I was cheering them on on social media, when he sought political asylum, I felt responsible. So you cannot sit, cheer at the release of this man, how heroic and all his stuff. And then when he finds himself 
in such terrible situation to sit back and do nothing. So, um, and I found, uh, I found a place to go, um, myself and others. Um, we didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone. I started going to the vigils outside the embassy, see who was there. And then very soon, um, a group of people who knew each other from their struggle against Pinochet, like my friend Clara. I know Clara. We were just talking about Clara. Yes. Uh, and, and several of other of her Give friends. us their names. Give us the names of those wonderful people. I, I know Clara and uh, some of the others that were part of that. Well, Clara, Jim, Karen, Tom. Um, and after that, uh, we were joined by others who formed a very small but very uh, loyal and um, solidarity, vibrant. solidarity vigil. And very vibrant. It was, it was vibrant. In the first few months, there were hundreds of people out there. Uh, they even uh, camped out there and stayed. Um, obviously, I couldn't. I had a young family. I couldn't do that. But any opportunity I could, I would go. And I try immediately to find ways of supporting. And how I did it was to print flyers and posters that I could find online and distribute them immediately. And... Um, then, after he was granted political asylum on the 16th of August 2012, most of the crowds left. Uh, everybody thought that um, things would settle. Uh, he would be freed. It didn't happen. We saw it in front of our own eyes, the police trying to enter the embassy, trying to prevent uh, Ecuador from giving him uh, diplomatic political asylum inside their embassy. Uh, but as the crowds dispersed, we remained. We remained there, and month in, month out, we tried to establish a solidarity vigil. Not quite a protest, because we were not allowed to have a protest outside an embassy. Uh, we would have given the perfect excuse to the police to uh, stop us from doing what we wanted to do. We kept it small, we kept it quiet, but we kept it vigilant, eyes and ears, witnessing what was happening, and again, posters, banners, flyers, informing the people. We try to keep the flame alive, as Clara says, the solidarity, because yes, there was a huge battle in front of us, but we were a small crowd. And we thought at least what we can do, we should demonstrate to this man who is inside that embassy that have not, he has not been forgotten. Right. And that I we are there for him. And that was the atmosphere that we had for many years since. I, uh, All the way till he was arrested and expelled. I know. I um, had the pleasure of meeting your group um, back in September of uh, 2017 when I first visited uh, Mr. Assange and uh, stood across the street with you. And um, I, I got there early and went to Harrods, and there was one guy waiting for everybody else to show up. And I figured, who is this guy sitting down on the sidewalk? And, was he calm? Uh, I probably, but. Um, uh, and then I came out of the embassy and there you were, a whole crew. And then uh, I saw you uh, at the uh, trial, of, uh, but it didn't take place. The trial did not take place when I went there uh, the first time. Not the trial, but uh, Stefania Marizzi's action against the CPS. And then I came back in, uh, in November again, and then it did take place. And you were outside of the trial, your crew or the uh, court hearing in front of the, uh, the lower court. 
uh, with Stefani and her attorneys, you, you were all sitting outside with your banners and, and signs and, and uh, then back in front of the embassy uh, a couple of days later when I went it's back. Really, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but I have to say about Stefania Moritz's action, we're absolutely thrilled. We were thrilled to meet her. We were thrilled to follow her steps, uh, challenging within the system the conspiracy of silence and the conspiracy uh, full stop of what is going on uh, within the British institutions regarding Julian Assange. We were thrilled to be there to support her because she's fighting for us. Uh, her freedom of information is making new uh, legal challenges, is making new wave in freedom of information in this country. She's making history basically, both for the sake of Julian Assange, but for the sake of democracy in this country and the yeah. sake of uh, clearing out uh, the corruption from British institutions. There must be transparency. There must be accountability for these institutions to function properly within a democracy. And well, we can see from her struggle how difficult it is. So we felt we needed to be there so that the judges who were judging the trial, the case uh, at the tribunals, could see the public was interested. We these hearings took place in tiny little courtrooms, tiny. We packed it, absolutely right. packed it, on the floor, on the chairs, everywhere. They had to change room over the years to larger and larger uh, tribunal courtroom in order to accommodate us. We are there to demonstrate the public has a keen interest in this case. Well, I was there with you. I remember you were sitting on my left there and uh, Stefania really is one courageous woman. And you know, what's really remarkable is that she's funded this on her own. She hasn't asked for donations. She has taken it out of her own pocket to pursue uh, justice and to pursue information that should be available to journalists. I don't see why other journalists uh, from The Guardian or from The Times have not joined in on that suit uh, to try to uh, throw some sunshine, sunshine, some sunshine, sunlight on uh, the uh, corruption within the CPS. Uh, because it, they have something uh, to lose too if in fact she does not get access to these documents, don't they? Uh, forgive me if I say, well, let's go back to the how we started this conversation, referring to Julian Assange's speech back in October 2011 at Trafalgar Square, and who he challenged the mainstream journalists about their responsibilities. On that occasion, he challenged them um, in relation to the war and the lies perpetrated in the papers and media about war. Here we have another example where journalists who are supposed to be the guardians, the guardians, you know, the fifth estate, uh, the fourth estate, I'm not sure, the fifth estate, they are absconded their responsibility. They are hand in glove with the corridors of power. Uh, the corridors of power give them access. And then uh, it seems very much the case that the mainstream media journalists are keeping, keeping their mouths shut, turned the other way.
I am sure, I am sure that in those files, in those cabinets of the Telegraph, the Daily Mail, the Times, there is information about Julian Assange's case. There is information about the Crown Prosecution Service. And they have not published because they do not wish to do so. They go along to get along, right? They go along to get along. That's what makes uh, Julian so special. Uh, when he has something that's in the public interest, he puts it out there, always has, regardless of the fault. Another example in relation to our actions outside the Ecuadorian embassy, we often had the BBC filming. The BBC was not filming us, Randy. We were having a whole 200, 250 people action there. They were not filming us. They were not interested in interviewing us. They were looking at the embassy, taking shots. Mm -hmm. Then I later on found out and not just me, others too, because we saw the paperwork, the BBC had requested from residents of number 18 Hans Crescent and other buildings to provide access to the BBC to place surveillance cameras onto their windows and onto their buildings wow, in order to monitor and record and, uh, the, the embassy. That's so they right. went to all this trouble to create a parallel surveillance system at particular times when rumors had it he'll be out. Yet, when newsworthy information was in front of them, that is to say 200, 250 people protesting outside the embassy, they ignored us. So what was their function? What is their function in this story? We have to we have to question that. And further than that, in my actions and efforts to correct the record in the Julian Assange case, writing to dozens, dozens and dozens of inaccuracy complaints that I'm filing, I find the same situation. People cannot possibly be uh, sloppy when they repeat the same errors and inaccuracies and smears year after year after year. Right. Well, listen, you have been really dedicated uh, to this cause. Uh, I did uh, have the opportunity to see you again on, I think it was the 24th of February, uh, and you had somebody standing in line for me. <laughs> Even though I got there early, there was still a queue that uh, I was so lucky to have um, a stand-in for me and to get in there and to uh, bear witness to what uh, this uh, total charade, uh, this farce that went on inside uh, that uh, Belmore's uh, courtroom um, and Westminster uh, Queen's Court. Is that what it's called? Magistrate's Court. Magistrate's Court. I'm sorry. Well, uh, you don't get used to that kind, of, that kind of nomenclature here in the U.S. There is no magistrate's uh, or Queen's Magistrate's Court, it's a royal court, but they function just the same. They function just the same. What do you say about uh, the Queen having her name uh, affiliated with this uh, courtroom and this uh, complete hoax? Uh, why hasn't uh, this embarrasses the entire British establishment, including the Queen? I mean, it is, it is encouraging that she did say that this was a political matter. Are, are you uh, encouraged uh, by, uh, is there enough of a fissure here within the establishment that you're encouraged by, uh, you know, by, by those uh, fissures? Uh, the mother of all hypocrisies. I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed at all. Um, 
it is very much what you said, a charade. It is the appearance of justice when there's no justice. Every person has to really look at the case and look at the facts. We're getting an education here. And yeah. citizens need to be alert and to follow this case. We're getting an education about how what we see is not the reality. It's the appearance of justice when in fact there is horrible injustice. Julian Assange has been persecuted by the UK British state, all aspects of it, the media, the prison now, the courts. I have witnessed like you do, you did. It was an ordeal to get inside the courtroom on the 24th of February. An absolute ordeal that made it so difficult. It was unbelievable. But we had great company out there. Thank goodness you yes, had sir. your your uh, your uh, fellow travelers outside singing uh, songs, and uh, I was telling a few jokes, and I was hanging out with Craig Murray, and uh, hanging out with Stefania Morizzi, and uh, you know I went to the camp uh, around the corner on that big lawn. Uh, it was it was quite impressive. Um, what's in store now that uh, you're you're, you're somewhat uh, limited or hamstrung uh, going forward uh, to bring attention uh, to Julian's case? Well, just to first of all say that since his arrest a year ago, um, there's been an absolute frenzy of activity here in London. Um, and it, well, I'm not talking just about our own group because there are several, several yeah. groups and several uh, uh, you know, it's swelling up. Political parties, yes, they're small, but political parties are activating. Uh, civil society organizations are activating. Uh, we haven't stopped uh, with our own group, our actions, street actions. Parliament Square, Trafalgar Square. We've had the amazing solidarity coming from France, from Germany, busloads, carloads of people coming over to uh, participate in some of our actions. Of course, since COVID, has uh, brought in the lockdown, all of our actions have now stopped, unfortunately. We continue attending the court um, hearings. We cannot possibly abandon our duty to follow the court proceedings. Uh, court proceedings that are mired in, uh, um, again, travesty of justice, lack of transparency, and uh, we are battling constantly for the last year against uh, restricting the access to the public. Uh, in the last court hearing that I attended, initially only four people, members of the public, would have been allowed to get in. In the end, six of us managed to get in. Wow. Six of us in the most important press freedom case this country has ever, ever had to deal with Maybe they, six members of the public and six journalists and no one else, Randy, no one else. Yeah. Well, they don't want people to witness this, obviously, but it's a, a definite classic uh, show trial. Um, so, so we have taken our action online and we have taken our actions by writing letters to members of parliament, politicians, uh, the various institutions involved. We're writing to the courts, we're writing to the prison and probation service, to the Ministry of Justice, uh, to our members of parliament primarily, and we're trying to get some further skills, all this uh, technology available to us for online action. We try to get up to speed with that, and uh, long term that would be a good thing. Well, listen, I've had to adjust too. I used to be in the studio, 
and um, I, I normally don't do video. I prefer radio and audio, but um, you know, I'm, I'm showing uh, some footage of the last demonstration that was broken up, and uh, I also oh. showed some stuff from uh, the 24th. The last thing is, um, now that you're doing this under these uh, restrictive conditions, what, um, how can people actually reach you and participate in your organization? Well, first of all, may I just say, Randy, they don't have to come and join us. It only takes two or three. You know what grassroots is. Yeah. Grassroots is I get together with my mates with my friends and do something. And then it grows from there. And locally, if it's the, a local action, is so much more successful. You get to form relationships with the people you work with. Very yes, important. I understand that. But if people want to know, they want to get a lesson on how it's done, um, and from the well, cities in the U.S., tell them how to reach you. Okay. Well, we've got various uh, ways, uh, presences in social media. Uh, we have a blog, which is www.wiseupaction.info. We're going back years. You'll find reports of our actions going back to 2012. Uh, we have a newsletter, which we call the Julian Assange, uh, the Committee to Defend Julian Assange newsletter. You can subscribe there by visiting the blog and then a pop-up uh, will come up and you can put your email address and we'll let you know every week what plans um, we have uh, upcoming. And um, at the same time, we are in Twitter, we are in Facebook. Uh, if you Google Committee to Defend Julian Assange, you will come up with everything that you need. You Committee can follow me on Twitter at Greek Emmy. All right. Greek Emmy um, uh, for your personal Twitter account, but uh, committee to defend Assange. Just Google that and they'll be able to access. You become very, very adept at social media. All right. I must tell you, and uh, I appreciate all the work that you and your uh, friends uh, who I um, had the great opportunity to uh, break bread with uh, at the, the great Harry, at the great Wendy, Wendy as well. All right. Yes, and, uh, there's loads and loads of wonderful people who have joined us Randy and we're looking forward to welcoming you next time all right I'll see you in September we'll be right back with Alex Hills from Candles for Assange thank you very much thank you Randy goodbye I ain't got no home I'm just a roaming round just a wandering worker I go from town to town the police make it hard wherever I may go And I ain't got no home in this world anymore My brothers and my sisters Rich man took my home and drove me from my door And I ain't got no home in this world anymore
That was uh, Woody Guthrie. I'm Randy Credico. This is Randy Credico Live on the Fly, uh, Assange's Countdown to Freedom, as we continue our tribute, our spotlight on the activists in the uh, movement uh, to, uh, you know, free Assange. And uh, we are joined by a couple who uh, have uh, spearheaded a, a vigil and uh, rallies in uh, New York uh, City and that is uh, Bernadette uh, Evangelist and Chuck Slatkin uh, coming from, I get, are you in the West Village in Manhattan? West Side. Upper West Side. Upper West Side, oh. Well, the old lefties. I could tell by the very rare paintings in the background. Are those Van Goghs? <laughs> They're Robert Anthony's. <laughs> All right, well, uh, thank you uh, for being back on. Um, I, I guess the vigil that uh, you started a year ago, was it a year ago? Yeah. About May? Yeah, it was. It was, it was in May. Yeah, it became weekly uh, starting at the beginning of May 2019. So it was okay. actually a year. And, and uh, I remember uh, I went to it in the very beginning at uh -huh. Washington Square Park, I believe. Was that yours? That the event? No. It morphed into ours. We were at the UK consulate first. Right. Uh, there were actually a number of actions where people were, were, were doing uh, demonstrations, vigils, and whatever. May 2nd, 2019 was an international day. And we decided, well, we needed to do something in New York City. And we decided to do it at the UK consulate. And at that vigil, as part of an international vigil, we decided to, among the people who came, let's do something every week. Yeah, see you next time. Right. I was at the one in the beginning before yes. New York um, NYC uh, Free right. Lunch. I, I remember yeah. uh, that event. Yeah, uh, we, 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 we actually came together just as you know, people from the New York metropolitan area and it was after a while of doing it that we decided, hey, we, needed, we need to have some kind of name to promote ourselves. So we, became, we evolved into New York NYC Free Assange. I see. It came out of that vigil, actually, as opposed right, to the right. vigil coming out of the group. Well, it was, it was more than a vigil. It was more of yeah. a, a rally. And I remember right. I was badgering uh, some of the uh, uh, personnel from the UK uh, yeah. uh, consulate there. Yeah. Yes. I was making some nasty comments whenever they'd walk in and out of that building. Right. As, yeah. as only you can. Well, the name Vigil was the cover, so we could all be as rowdy as we wanted to once we got there. Right. right. Well, at any rate, so now it moves over to, uh, it did move over to um, the New York Times building, mm -hmm. and uh, then it got a little cold, and uh, now you are up until the uh, crisis here right. uh, at uh, Grand Central. Uh, mm -hmm. yes. indoors. So indoors, that must yes. have been convenient. Um, tell us about that. Well, it was, it was really good. First of all, there are a lot of people in there, uh, a lot of interested people. Plus where we set up, you know, we have, you have the same free speech rights inside a, a terminal as you have outside in the street. So while they may have at first tried to, you know, try and psych us out a little bit about us uh, not being able to be there. We knew we could be there. So it evolved. We did the same distribution of flyers. We engaged passers-by. People had signs and banners. And then some of our people actually uh, showed the, uh, the, uh, the video of, of the uh, 
um, now I, the murder, the, the, uh, the collateral <laughs> murder video we had on a loop playing there too. Yeah. So it was really quite a, quite of an expression. We had a lot of people uh, show up and it was you know, very successful. Oh, that's great. Because so, people uh, would come, find out what was going on, and then they'd show up the next week. It was wonderful. People would be coming and say, well, where have you been? Where are the New Yorkers? And we said, here we are, join us. And, and people were looking for some place to be. So, so I mean, the problem uh, has been uh, for the last six years, especially mm -hmm. the last since the 2016 election, is to get uh, people uh, in support of Assange. I would say of any movement, including the Rockefeller drug laws, which immediately got uh, support from people, conservatives and liberals. Uh, but with Assange, it's been more difficult. To, yeah. Has it become easier over the year uh, lately uh, to get people to be uh, sympathetic? Yes. I, I would say yes. I think there's, it started with a lot of hostility. And little by little, I don't know what has changed, if it's his, you know, his situation, I think more uh, publishers and writers are speaking out finally. I think there's a little more acceptance of his plight. And I think that may be why, I don't know. But people yeah. are listening to us, taking our flyers, wanting to know more about him. Right. It's amazing how many people say who's doing an Assange. That's the most heartbreaking thing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, oh, it's I hard for me to believe that. I mean, you know. Go to Grand Central. <laughs> well, the last time we spoke, I, I think I talked about how there was outright hostility towards us when we were first out there uh, in front of the New York Times. People were just very emotional. Yeah, and then some, something changed almost or like in a very short period of time where we could see the change in the people. And I would say to people, hey, look at this. The middle fingers have morphed into thumbs up. And that really took place in a very short amount of time. We actually had to print up more flyers because we were giving so many away. And people would engage us in real you know, conversation, wanting to learn uh, information, discuss things as opposed to what they did before was just, you know, you know, cursing us out because we elected Trump or we were supporting a rapist or whatever it was. That I can't put my finger on it. Well, that was all part of the uh, uh, the smear campaign. That was the result mm -hmm. of the uh, smear campaign. Uh, this bogus uh, rape allegation. It was never. There was never a charge. It was just an allegation that was that was held up on thin air by uh, the Crown Prosecutor Services in uh, in the UK. Uh, so, but it, it had its effect and it uh, turned off a lot of uh, liberals and uh, they blame uh, Assange for uh, Trump. I understand why people are upset that Trump's in. Trump is a real danger uh, and he's the one that's prosecuting Julian Assange. All right, he's the one. Uh, Obama administration, as loathsome as it was, they decided not to prosecute him. And now you have someone that has openly said that the press is the enemy and it's being manifested right now by this prosecution, persecution of Julian Assange. If he helped him win, then there's no gratitude. Uh, but as um, many have said, including uh, Ralph Nader, when I interviewed him the other day, mm -hmm. he said he blames it all on Hillary Clinton. Terrible campaign. It was a, he was a terrible candidate and, uh, you know, and other reasons. But at any rate, so how did you uh, first get interested, the two of you, because uh, I've known you for a while. I used to do shows at uh, some local radio station here on Assange right. four years ago. Uh, when did you uh, start getting interested in his uh, his uh, particular uh, plight? 
Well, I, I must say that I was a real follower of Assange before he was in any kind of trouble. I loved WikiLeaks. I read his books. I thought this is a great intellectual. We need him for the internet. We need him going forward. And then before you know it, this started happening. So I was, I was aware of him and then I was really upset about what was happening to him and WikiLeaks. And then you got Chuck involved, right? You said, Chuck, you got to Well, I mean, I had my own He's ready for experience. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I had, uh, had used WikiLeaks as a, as a tool. I was very uh, impressed with the information I was able to get for what I was working on. So I was definitely, you know, uh, in support uh -huh. of him. And in, in all honesty, listening to your programs. Really right. had, really Until I got cut out of there. It was because of my program and the fights right. I had with the old uh, program director that uh, led to me leaving that station. Uh, understood. Yeah. yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. But, and also, it was also a fact of how we got involved in organizing was when we said, well, wait a minute, we, we've got to participate in what's going on in the New York metropolitan area. If there's international days of actions, there's gotta be something in, in, New, York, in New York. Of course. And it's, there wasn't any. So we said, well, I guess it's up to us to organize it. So, so we'll be New York. Yeah. So that's how it happened. You also had uh, uh, Zul with you as well, right? Oh, yeah. Zul, Zul is very with us. important to us. All right, no, Zul's Zul. a great organizer. You know, he worked with me uh, on a lot of things, but uh, recently on the, uh, the vigils or the protests against the private uh, uh, prison uh, uh, situation with the uh, state and local uh, controllers, uh, and the divestment movement, and Zul was there from the very outset, and and that resulted in change. They finally divested both Scott Stringer and uh, Tom uh, DiNapoli uh, really mm -hmm. quickly. Stringer was a little slow at it. Um, so now what are you doing uh, since you are not on hiatus, but you're kind of uh, hamstrung. Uh, well, we're, we're supporting a lot of the Courage um, webinars and we're, we have a presence on Twitter and Facebook, but the, the people wanted to be out so much that this Thursday there was a vigil at, uh, at the consulate. We called it a social distance vigil and it may only have been six or eight people were there with masks and signs staying far apart I didn't go there because I was sick and I'm too old, but the, the, the younger, stronger people wanted to be out. So I don't know if that'll continue, but we have to find a way to be visible right, right. through all this. To do is social distancing kind of uh, demonstrations and, and actions and maybe looking to do some stuff you know, online, but it's important. We have to keep the information out there. We have mm -hmm. to keep the focus. Uh, on on freeing Assange, there's you know the, we have to find the means and a way to do it. We support other actions. We did we had Bernadette said we worked with uh, uh, Courage on, on 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 an event that they put on at the CUNY Law School. We did an, an action ourselves as part of an international day of protest. Of course, they're a little hamstrung with the limits about what you can do outside in the street and socially, but we're educating ourselves. You know, putting time into more into social media, having meetings amongst ourselves, trying to figure out what's the best way to go because there's no way that we can allow, you know, the struggle to free Julian Assange to, to be set back at all. We have to move forward and make that a priority, you know, across the board. And linking up with Courage Foundation and Nathan Fuller and 
don't extradite Assange. And, and England, Assange countdown to freedom, of course. Of course, uh, all wow, of us wow. together should be, you know, That's multiplying right. and amplifying each other. All right. Well, we we are going to have uh, a, a one more um, one more organizer from New Zealand coming up, and okay. this has uh, been uh, really. Uh, a very uh, nice chat that we had with you. And uh, I'm very, um, very happy that you're out there. Uh, could give us, uh, ha uh, you know, the uh, the Twitter and the Facebook account so people can uh, access your work. NYC Free Assange. You'll get us on Facebook. You'll find us on Twitter, NYC Free Assange. And you could write to us at nycfreeassange at gmail.com. All right. We'll answer anybody's letters or, you know, you could hook up with us to do events together. Okay. Well, listen, thank you for your good work, your hard work, and your important work. And uh, we will uh, definitely see you soon. I, I hope to be yes. out there uh, without a mask yes. <laughs> at some point. All right. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Chuck Stratton and Bernadette uh, Evangelis. Uh, NY, uh, NYC Free Assange. Thank you very much. Thank and, you. Uh, We'll be right back after another tune by Woody Guthrie. The crops are all in, the peaches are rotting. The oranges are piled in their creosote dumps. They're flying you back to the Mexico border to pay all your money. Red back again. Goodbye to my one, goodbye, Rosalita. Adios, mis amigos. Jesus, Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. Only will call you BD My father's own father. He waded that river, they took all the money he made in his life. My brothers and sisters, they worked in your orchards, rode the big trucks till they lay down and died. Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita, adios mis amigos, Jesus y Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. All they will call you the BD 14. Once again, that was uh, Woody Guthrie. I'm Randy Credico, Randy Credico live on the fly, Assange Countdown to Freedom. This is our 20th episode, and today we uh, will continue our celebration of the uh, activists out there uh, who have been uh, there for Julian Assange, uh, some for seven or eight years, some for the last couple of years, but those who are activists uh, that are not uh, out there as consultants, but the activists, grassroots activists. And uh, we are being joined now by a real hardcore activists out of New Zealand, and that's Alex Hills. Alex Hello, Hills. Randy. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. It's an honor. Well, it's an honor to have you on, and I had a, uh, it was an honor to be on the other day with that outstanding crew that you had on uh, World Press Freedom Day, uh, and I joined the Mexican, uh, Mexico uh, uh, part. Of yeah, you were on my 14th hour 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you couldn't tell. I thought you were so energetic. I know you drink a lot of coffee like I do. Yep. Uh, I'm a teetotaler, so I used to be a heavy boozer, but I'm a teetotaler, and I drink a lot of coffee. Voltaire. Yeah. Voltaire yeah. drink less coffee than I did, all right? Yeah, my problem is, is smoking and coffee, for sure. <laughs> well, I'm off the cigarettes, but I'm on the, uh, on the vape. Uh, yeah. Uh, as are some of the guys at WikiLeaks. I was sitting up there in the gallery during the trial, and uh, a lot of the uh, people that are associated with WikiLeaks were when they say we're all sneaking like puffs and uh, at any rate, I shouldn't say that because uh, you never know what the judge will do to them uh, when they uh, resume proceedings in, in September. So um, Alex, uh, you are uh, a, an architect and because I tried this when I was uh, in high school, you're a violinist. And I'm a big yes, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I've never been a professional violinist, but I almost took it very seriously when I was a kid. I was in orchestras and we toured the world with the Canberra Youth Orchestra because I did uh, spend 10 years at school in Australia. Yeah. Um, but I'm from London originally. I see. So you, you were, you're a British citizen that moved to New Zealand. Is that it? Yeah. And spent my uh, teenage years, the whole 80s. So I missed Margaret Thatcher in Australia. How lucky. How lucky. <laughs> uh, I, I unfortunately was stuck with Reagan during that time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Then Bush and then Clinton and then Bush and then Obama and now Trump. So it's never So been basically all the same, 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 same. Different face, different face, uh, same program. Yeah. Um, well, at any rate, do, by the way, do you uh, like uh, Beethoven's Violin Concerto? Of course, yes. I've tried to play it, but I'm useless. Um, <laughs> I'd say that my classical has a long time ago sort of waned, and now I'm very much a jammer. Um, my party trick is being able to jam with anything, um, and I've got a musical buddy in New Zealand, and uh, he's part of Free Assange New Zealand, and we've done some cool reggae songs together. We're kind of like a duo. Um, but I've also done some work with Alex Taylor, who's in UK, and he's the violinist that got thrown off the streets um, playing um, Walsing Matilda on Australia Day outside the embassy, and he got pulled off by the ta um, task force and his violin uh, temporarily confiscated just for playing a, a protest song outside the embassy on the pavement. Um, and so I saw that, and that was one of my inspirations. Really, I thought, well, I'm a violinist, so I could make a scene. I can, I can hula hoop in violin, <laughs> you know, I could do some stuff that would make, get me noticed. So I've been doing things like that outside the US Embassy here um, and in the Australian um, and also the New Zealand Parliament. You're in Wellington. I'm in Wellington, yep. And uh, so there is a US Embassy there and is that where you uh, have uh, your protests and your vigils? Yeah, well, the very first candles for Assange, if you want to call it, was actually Julian's 47th birthday. Um, and that's when we started an emergency petition, short fire petition, to the New Zealand government asking them to just discuss the idea of asylum, of Julian's asylum in New Zealand Parliament. I mean, really, we just wanted a discussion to take place. We weren't trying to get them to solve the problems and give him safe passage or anything. Um, and um, so it was then that we did a sort of a candle display in the wind in Wellington because we're famous for the wind here and we had real candles in cups nailed into the grass on the lawn outside the parliament and then um, last year for Julian's 48th birthday we thought well why not do the same thing only at the uh, US Embassy and we called it Candles for Assange and we said world please join us on a world press freedom you know on a press freedom protest for Julian's birthday and we were just completely bewildered with the number of people who came back 
um, partly that was because I had been um, in Unity for j and I'd been connected to lots of different countries. But um, it was bewildering. 62 cities wanted to be on my little maps that I was making on paint <laughs> on my computer. And so the, the, the map just filled up the world. <laughs> you are very meticulous with and creative with those maps. You know, <laughs> you're the one that sent me all of the different uh, areas of protests. Yes, 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 when yes I that's me. Planning one of these activist uh, yeah. programs. That was my, I was overwhelmed with the amount of yeah. uh, actions. There was 200 had. events, or was it 120? Sorry, 120 events, I think, over the course of the week of the extradition trial. But the one that I was talking about, the initial one that happened was July 3rd on uh, 2019. That was the one that 62 cities came back. And for that one, I found that people really wanted to get on the map. Um, people really want to be known that their country has got supporters of Julian Assange because that's not getting out in the media. And so I found that everyone, even if they were just one person with a candle at a war memorial or whatever, everyone was really excited to sort of do that. Um, and they just wanted to see their map appear on my, on my um, world map. Um, as one of the supporting cities. And so what happened is the map almost got so filled up with little flags of which country was joining in, how many city names, uh, that I could almost not fit it on the map. And I became, it became an animation, which was then a promo to get even more cities. So you see, it somehow spurred a lot of people into sort of coming together, even though they were tiny little actions everywhere, mostly. You are really tireless, I must say. <laughs> I see your tweets all the time. I see you on Facebook. And um, what what actually um, propelled you to get so involved? Well, I guess I came from environmental activism, I guess, um, although I wasn't really out on the streets a lot. I did, I did worry about the TPP, the trade issues and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I um, was a lecturer in sustainable architecture and I was really interested in trying to get green ideas out into the world because buildings cause a lot of the damage obviously um, um, and when I worked on that for a while I began to realize that it's absolutely futile because we're not getting truth out on the environment we're not getting truth out on anything and our politicians are very much bought by uh, war that actually causes more emissions than anything by private prison systems by all sorts of things that you know add to the issues <laughs> and I realized that there was no point in continuing a battle for the environment only um, and that I really had to step it up to the next level because the thing that overarches everyone's concerns whether it's animal cruelty or or you know corruption in politics or democracy it's that is the thing that overarches everything and I think that that's what people aren't realizing it's it's affecting us all we are all Julian Assange and we're all going to get shut down um, if we allow this travesty to happen. Um, that, right, so information, yeah, that's information uh, is the, uh, the key here. The yeah, I'd flow say of so. ideas and the free flow of information. So this enters your head and uh, you suddenly uh, said, I got to focus on him. Is that what happened? Yeah, I guess that plus Alexander Taylor doing what he did when I was already supporting online. Um, then um, Susie Dawson starting her campaign in Unity 4J. She, I was part of the um, Internet Party uh, Discord here. Um, I, I actually was so concerned about the right wing getting in again in New Zealand that I went green and I went Labour with my two possible votes, um, which was a which was a sellout because really the the parties that that really 
delivered the anti-war thing and the other things that I really am concerned about, they were the third parties that were encouraged not to vote for. Um, and an internet party was one of them that had a very interesting platform and I wanted to support, at least, at least wanted them to be on the ballot. But these guys were being censored so badly <laughs> by New Zealand, they weren't even appearing as one of the possible people to elect on the lists it was just so incredible and so I really fought for them and that's how I kind of also got in I was a Bernie Bernie supporter in 2016 and I saw what happened with the um, the DNC and the cheating the, the the weapons deals I saw all that being revealed and um, what was so depressing was how much politics had become part of um, young people in America's lives and they were starting to see how things were done in other countries, perhaps a little bit less right-wing. Um, and then suddenly all their hopes and dreams were just dissolved just like that through corruption and, and I had to do something. And I think, I guess, all those things together combined. Yes, well, uh, uh, I... Speaking of the politicians there, uh, your, your prime minister uh, is getting a, a lot of good press here about the way she's handled uh, this, uh, this plague. Uh, is, she, um, is she a progressive? Um, I don't know. The jury's out a little bit. I mean, yes, New Zealand's done uh, amazingly well, um, <sighs> partly because we're very, we're, we're very obedient. Um, we're very easy to shut down. <laughs> dissent it's not it's not difficult um and 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 get people to obey what the, the government's saying i think you know the, the media is very much followed here by you know the mainstream media is very much followed by the most but if you actually look at jacinda's history i'd like to think and i did vote for her it's like those horrible lesser of evils thing um but she carried on donating to clinton foundation after we already knew what the clinton foundation was about i wonder whether it was so she could get a selfie with hillary i don't know she worked on um censorship with macron after christchurch which really shut down an incredible amount of any other information in the way you know in the name of hate um, and so you can make of that what you will then there's the fact that she worked with new labor Tony Blair, who is a war criminal during wartime in England, and that does send shivers down my spine. I don't know what she learned. I hope that she didn't learn that kind of behaviour. I, I, I mean, um, she signed the TPP, which to most um, left-wing progressive people here is, is a travesty um, because it basically means that New Zealand's a corporation. We can't fight back against environmental damage, people stealing our water and land for corporate means. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to see how she's been wonderful other than she seems like a compassionate person on, on the surface and, and I'm, I've got a lot of hope, but um, you wonder how much control she has. I mean, I always say New Zealand's a vassal state like all the other 42 eyes that spy on each other. They, you know, what can you do? It is Are we really in control here? <laughs> yeah, it is uh, part of the five eyes. Uh, yeah. And they do... Uh, uh, they're part of that web of the uh, international national security state, you know, with the U.S., right. Britain and Canada and Australia. Uh, are they really the power behind the throne here? And she pretty much does what they tell her to yep. do. Yep. That's it. That's it. There's, I mean, we've seen some really good movement on environment in terms of plastic bags being abolished. You know, we're going in the California direction in some of the environment things. There's been um, removal of rights to um, look for oil 
there has been some really great moves here. So I can't say that she's been all bad, but sometimes you wonder <laughs> what those token things are uh, in exchange for what horrible deals are going on in the background. We have so, a, a national, uh, national domestic, domestic surveillance uh, apparatus in that country. Um, and um, I don't know what she's done about that. And when it comes to Julian Assange, has she been approached? Has she uh, given any yep. statement about it? All of them are terrible. Every single politician in power in New Zealand has been approached asking for help. When we had the petition in Parliament, uh, we needed a sponsor. So we needed one MP, whether or not they agreed with it, to um, put it into Parliament for us. And the, the answer we got for Parliament was ridiculous. It was, we have no jurisdiction to even discuss, Julian. But um, we did get one MP um, allowing us to put it in, only because he said he believed in free speech and he wanted it to be heard. Um, but we didn't have a single, and I'm talking green MPs, I'm talking um, people who are human rights lawyers, who are immigrants themselves, who've come to New Zealand, who are now Green Party high up MPs and they won't say a word, um, you know, coming from Iran. It's, it's incredible. Um, no, no one, not a single sod in the parliament has said a word in support of Julian. They're not interested. So you have no um, uh, hopes, um, pipe dreams of uh, something happening domestically, <laughs> domestically uh, w with uh, the political structure there. So what is the aim now, just to continue to mobilize in New Zealand and, and try to spread the word elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, um, my focus is people all around New Zealand working for Free Assange New Zealand, which is what we set up back when, before the petition, before 47th birthday. There's people working all around doing street protests or hoping to do street protests, and I invite them to come on our virtual protests that we're doing at the moment. There are um, active groups, but my focus has always been how do we get these global groups all working together and get them to all appreciate each other and and amplify each other because we really need that not having um a proper fourth estate or fifth estate <laughs> yet right. so that's God been my focus not so much new zealand because i've almost lost hope here in this vassal state right. well i i must say that uh, you're doing an incredible job uh oh, you you. getting the word out there and the more people that do this uh, the more people that organize the more people that get on the street this is a horizontal movement and that's what's going to win this. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of street protests. I mean, I'm an activist, you know, a natural born activist. And more than media, I prefer to be on the street uh, because it, it really is the lifeblood of my soul is, the, mm. is, is getting out on the street. You too? Yeah, I mean, I really can't wait to, to be able to again, and it looks like New Zealand's um, lockdown will be, well, lifted to level two. We're in level three at the moment, so it's sort of a little bit of bubble bubbles out there, but not really. Um, level two allegedly will be in the next week or so, which means kids go back to school, which means businesses start with social distancing measures um, and all sorts of stuff. So, um, you know, there's hope for us to get back on the streets, but also I'm really encouraged by the online movement that's kind of spurred up because the wonderful thing about everyone being in lockdown, if you can think of anything wonderful about it, is that everyone's available on their computers very often and are engaged and are looking into things a bit more. I think it's waking people up.
Well, you know, for me, uh, I uh, was in the studio and I would do it once a week, this Assange show for the first 14 weeks, maybe 15 weeks, 14. And, um, you know, that was it. And I ha everyone had to do it at a certain time. You'd get time in the studio and you're locked into that time. And some people like John Pilger would be sleeping at that time. So, you know, if, yeah. I, had, if I were going to record him, I'd have to do it at nine o'clock at night and the studio would be closed. So uh, this worked out perfectly. I do them at 10 o'clock here, right at night. Yeah. And it's like uh, noon there. So it worked out perfectly. And, and so I can get anybody at, because I don't know what time it is. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what time it is. I got to do another one of these and I just do it. And I find out I can, I can tape somebody up one hour, somebody else two hours later and slap it all together. But I don't want to give away my secret here. But, uh, <laughs> well, you, it sounded like me when I was doing my uh, schedule for the one hour per country on that 14 hours because I was trying oh. to figure out, okay, these people are down at this time and these people are still awake. So I need some people in Asia to fill in this gap. <laughs> it, was like, it was quite a headache. You are very impressive. That was uh, – I don't think I could have done that, but uh, you, you did a fab, fabulous job putting that together. How do Thank people, you. There uh, were some scatty changeovers, but hey. It's okay. It's, our, <laughs> it's not an exact science. No. Um, how do people uh, access uh, your website and, and your Twitter account and all of that? Right. Well, um, we've got two big groups on Facebook. So Free Assange New Zealand has about 900 people or so. We're just a Facebook page. Um, Candles for Assange has a couple of thousand, um, and they're a Facebook group. Um, and then um, there's another bunch of groups that are associated with that, all the city groups. There's some Candles for Assange in London, Germany. There's all sorts of different Candles for Assanges all over the place if you actually look. Lots of little tiny events and groups all over on Facebook. On um, Twitter, it's Greenweaver Arch, which is my personal um, Twitter that? account. Greenweaver Arch, which is what you've been putting out on um, Countdown for Freedom on the tweets, my, my Twitter account. But Candles for Assange is the one That's where I'm going to keep four. on pinning up um, global events there. So Candles for Assange, number four Assange. Yeah. That, and, and my website, which um, candlesforassange.com. Um, is, is really a work in progress. I'm trying to get someone to help me. That's uh, candles for Assange, numeral four, right? Numeral four in the middle. For yeah. both. For, yeah, for, for both. So candlesforassange.com, candles for Assange on Facebook, candles for Assange on Twitter. With the numeral four. Well, uh, we got to wrap up here. All right, we have a long show, and um, you, uh, you know, you were the uh, the closer. You know, great. Would you got top billing? The, the closer always, the closer usually when you're working uh, in Las Vegas, it's the person that closes the show. But everybody was a star today. Four yeah, well, this is the start of my day. You can see it's just getting light now. Wow. <laughs> it's still, it's dark here coming and it's dank all the time. Uh, here in New York, right across, I can see the Statue of Liberty uh, looking for asylum somewhere else. Um, but uh, thank you very much. Uh, oh, you're, you're welcome. And thank you so much for what you do. I've been following you for years. Right. You're the best. <laughs> all right. And give my best to your mom. All right. I will. I wish right. you'd hear it, but yeah. It's okay. Just say it. She can hear it. She can hear it somewhere. Yes. All right. Uh, Alex Hills. Thank you very much. Candles for Assange. All right. We'll be right back after uh, another Woody Guthrie uh, great tune.
Say there, did you hear the news? Psycho worked at trimming shoes. Van said he was a peddling man. He pushed his fish cart with his hand. Two good men a long time gone. Two good men a long time gone. Psycho and Van Zetti are gone. They left me here to sing this song. Psycho's born across the sea, somewhere over in Italy. Fans that he born a parents fine, drank the best Italian wine. Psycho sailed to sea one day, landed up in the Boston Bay. Fans that he sailed the ocean blue and landed up in Boston too. Two good men's a long time gone. Two good men's a long time gone. Two good men's a long time gone. Left me here to sing this song. Psycho's wife, three children had, Psycho was a family man. Fans said he was a dreaming man, his book is always in his hands. Psycho earned his bread and butter, being the factory's best shoe cutter. Fans said he spoke both day and night, told the workers how to fight. Two good men a long time gone, two good men a long time gone. Two good men, a long time gone. All right, uh, what do you got three? Once again, that's five and one to go at the end of this, uh, uh, my closing remarks. Um, this is Randy Critical, Randy Critical Live on the Fly, uh, Assange Countdown to Freedom, episode 20, uh, a tribute to the grassroots activists around the world in support of Julian Assange. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we will, on the birthday of the great, 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 uh, ultimate activists, that being John Brown, we'll be doing a, a tribute to him. And uh, the um, journalists, the abolition journalists, uh, who like Julian Assange, were uh, pariahs uh, to the slave power, uh, and uh, many of them were murdered. Uh, we'll talk about Elijah Lovejoy uh, tomorrow with a university professor, David S. Reynolds, who's got the ultimate book on John Brown and many other um, pre-Civil War, uh, great works. So uh, I want to thank everybody who was on today, beginning with Nathan Fuller from the Courage Foundation, Deepa Driver, uh, and then uh, uh, Emmy uh, uh, Butlin, and uh, the uh, two from the NYC uh, Free Assange, that being uh, Chuck Slatkin and also uh, Bernadette uh, Evangelist, and uh, Alex Hills of uh, Candles for Assange. Uh, all great people who do great work and should be getting uh, recognition for it and encouragement. Um, hopefully people will follow their lead. Uh, Assange needs as many uh, grassroots organizers as possible. Uh, if it's ever going to be possible and probable to get him uh, extricated from the terrible situation that he's in. I want to thank the, um, uh, the people who work on this show. First of all, I want to thank uh, the engineer, uh, and that being Kelly Lane out of North Carolina, uh, the editor, co-editor with uh, Kelly Lane, that being uh, Jimmy Sunderland out of uh, the beautiful uh, little town called Lake Arrowhead, California. Uh, I wish Anonymous Scandinavia uh, were around. I have no idea. I have not been able to reach that group in at least two or three weeks. So we're getting worried. I also want to thank Margaret Ratner Kunstler, who writes the description of these shows. And uh, Sarah Kunstler, who is the um, webmaster uh, for this show. 
And so uh, we have a, a few expenses out there, folks. Uh, I never panhandle uh, for money. I've been doing this for uh, many years. Uh, but we're not in uh, a, a local uh, funded uh, radio station. We are doing this um, on our own. And if you'd like to support uh, this uh, program, uh, we could use your help. We want to do this all the way at least until the resumption of the uh, court hearing for Julian Assange. And you can do that by going to Assange Countdown to Freedom. Dot com. That's Assange Countdown to Freedom dot com. And I think that just about wraps it up. Um, see you tomorrow with the, the John Brown uh, show. It was early springtime and the strike was on. It drove us miners out of doors, out from the houses that the company owned. We moved into tents up at Old Ludlow. I was worried bad about my children, soldiers guarding the railroad bridge. Every once in a while a bullet would fly, kick up gravel under my feet. We were so afraid you'd kill our children. Dug us a cave that's seven foot deep Carried our young ones and a pregnant woman Down inside the cave to sleep That very night you soldiers waited Till all us miners was asleep You snuck around our little tent town Soaked our tents with your kerosene you struck a match and the blaze it started You pulled the triggers of your Gatlin guns I made a run for the children But a firewall stopped me Thirteen children died from your guns I carried my blanket to a wire fence corner Watched the fire till the blaze died down I helped some people drag their belongings While your bullets killed us all around I never will forget the look on the faces Of the men and women that awful day When we stood around to preach their funeral And lay the corpse of the dead away We told the Colorado governor to phone the president Tell him call off His National Guard But the National Guard Belonged to the governor So he didn't try So very hard Our women from Trinidad They hauled some potatoes Up to Wallensburg In a little cart They sold their potatoes And brought some guns back and they put a gun in every hand The state soldiers jumped us in the wire fence corners Did not know that we had these guns And the redneck miners mowed down them troopers You should have seen them poor boys run We took some cement and walled the cave up where you killed these 13 children inside I said God bless 
West of Mine Workers Union. Then I hung my head and cried. 